Well, I am grateful for these moments, these opportunities where we get to gather together with one central focus, and that's to worship Jesus. Uh, that's the only reason we come in here. We would not have got here and got ourselves up this morning for anything other than the worship of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you guys know it, but if, if you hang out here long enough or if you've been coming here long enough, you'll pick up pretty quickly that we are passionate about the centrality of Jesus Christ. He is uh, the goal of our gathering and nothing else. And so I'm grateful for that. All of our first time visitors, let me just say once more again, uh, welcome. We are thankful thankful that you are here. You could have worshiped anywhere, but we are grateful that you decided to come worship with us uh, this morning. Last week, it was a little bit heavier last week as we dialogued and talked about uh, some of what, what racial reconciliation looks like within the church and uh, even address some of the events that have been happening between uh, two African Americans being shot and uh, five police officers five police officers being shot and killed, but 12 that were shot. And so I uh, got to dialogue and, and actually address that in the word of God. And then afterwards, we had a little dialogue in the room next door to where we got together. You know, we have a unique opportunity within our church. There is not many diverse, ethnically diverse churches in this area. So to be able to gather with different ethnicities and then sit down and talk about our issues uh, in a real genuine way has been really good. And, and if I'm honest, last week's conversation uh, was raw. It was, um, it, it was uncut. It was, uh, in many ways, just people's real gut feelings uh, and, and even some anger, which is, which is okay, right? Ephesians 4.26, be angry, but sin not, right? And so it's okay for us to confess that stuff. But last week's conversation cannot be the, the end of the conversation, right? So we had to put a, a comma on our, our dialogue and not a period as we need to continue to uh, have these discussions. And not even just in that type of forum. But in your smaller groups, right, in your DNA groups, what does it look like for you to sit across the table from somebody that doesn't look like you, doesn't think like you, doesn't vote like you, uh, and be able to have real, honest conversation about your feelings? And so that, that's what the goal was last week, to, to just talk, right? Just raw feelings, just get it out and uh, be able to, through that, see see feelings and, and, and hearts start to be restored back to the Lord. Listen to me, if we're not united as a church, the world will not see, the world won't, like, how do we expect them to be reconciled through political means and through laws? We have to be the church so that they have a model of what that's supposed to look like. And so we are grateful to be able to, to dialogue last week. We are back in our prayer series this week. Um, you guys here? Y'all seem so quiet this morning. <laughs> We are back in our prayer series. We have been going through a series on prayer. We're, we're, it's a four-week series, now condensed, because last week we took a detour. Uh, but it is a four-week series on what prayer is and what prayer means and to answer some of the questions that we have about prayer. So we're back into that series uh, this week. We're in our second week on it. Eugene Patterson Peterson says, prayer gets us on what it means to be, to be in relationship with God. And so if we want to know what it means to be in a fruitful, dialogued relationship, like nobody wants to be in that relationship where it's one-sided, where the conversation is just one-sided, like nobody else is being able to dialogue, but prayer is a, is a two-way two -way streak of being able to uh, jump into a uh, real relationship with the Lord. If you could turn with me to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. 
I joke around, these words are in red, so that they mean something. This is Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 6. As you turn there, let me also say welcome back to, to Tyreek and Victoria and baby Maddox. So grateful to have them here with us. I went and visited yesterday um, uh, Rodney and Yolanda and, and baby Manny. And, and to be able to see just the Lord's blessing over their family, it, it's been it's been great to see, and we look forward to there's a few more other, I think at least one more other person that I know of that is uh, expecting a child. So we look forward to seeing more Epiphany babies. That's why we're moving, by the way. We, we actually have a, we're building in a nursery uh, for mothers that are, are having babies. And so we're, we're grateful. All right, Matthew chapter six. Let me read and, uh, and pray, and then we, could, we can jump into what the text has to say. Verse number five is where we'll be. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and, in the street, and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Let's, let, let's pray and then I, I'll announce where we're going. Father, this morning we are, are desperately in need of you. Uh, when, when, the, the beauty in, in, in your, your Holy Spirit is that we could all come into this room with so many different issues uh, but yet you know how through your word to meet every one of us. Pray that you would transform our hearts. If we're honest, some, some people may be coming in here this morning with broken marriages, broken relationships. Maybe they're coming in depressed or maybe some people just had a bad week. Father, we pray that you would meet them today, that we wouldn't walk out of here and be the same. We pray that your word would impact them. Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God is is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Father, may your word rest on us this morning. We're in desperate need of it. So be with us today. We pray that Jesus would be central and that he would be glorified even through your text today. May he be, may he be sung about, may he be preached about and proclaimed in such a way that we walk out of here and say, man, I need, to, I need to know that Jesus. I need to strengthen my relationship with that Jesus the Jesus of the Bible, of the text. Be, be glorified today in our time. In Christ's name, amen. amen. I want to preach from the topic entitled, How Not to Pray. How Not to Pray. I was told of a story of an atheist who owned a bar with loud music across the street in, in, in the deep south of North Carolina, owned a bar across the street from a, from a Baptist church, a small Baptist church. And every Wednesday night, this church would gather for Bible study. And part of their Bible study, they dedicated to praying that the Lord would shut the bar down across the street. Every night, they were, every Wednesday night, they would pray this. Well, what happens? One night, a storm arises and lightning starts to happen and lightning strikes the bar. The bar catches on fire. The bar owner, by the way, an atheist, the bar owner then sues the church because he said that they prayed against his business. And then the church says, listen, man, we have no response. We have no part of that. That is not our doing. So here you have an atheist that believes in the power of prayer and a church that doesn't. 
And so what, what we have in our text this morning is not necessarily pushing us towards the power of prayer and not even necessarily the consistency of prayer. Jesus teaches us this morning the posture of how to pray. And he does that in a unique way. Jesus doesn't teach on how to pray by saying, here's how you pray. He starts the Lord's Prayer, which we're not going to get into today. He starts the Lord's Prayer, which is teaching his disciples how to pray by teaching them how not to pray. And there's so much that we can glean from this passage. This is smack dead in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount has spanned it over three chapters. Matthew chapter five, really verse number two starts Jesus' most famous sermon, really not even Jesus' most famous sermon, the most famous sermon ever. He starts this Sermon on the Mount and in Matthew chapter five, verse two, he starts it and then he ends by Matthew chapter seven, really verse 27. And then verse 28 and 29 of Matthew seven, the crowd is just talking about how amazed they were at Jesus teaching. In this, in, in this story, in this, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching about lust. He's teaching, teaching about retaliation and divorce, loving your enemies. He's teaching about anxiety. And in the midst of such a powerful sermon, Jesus pushes the brakes to teach about prayer. Such a powerful moment. Nothing else in your life, Epiphany, will show the power of, uh, of relying and being dependent on the Lord like prayer. Like taking prayer, like taking it so seriously that you pray about everything. See, what we do is we pray about big stuff, right? I got a big decision I need to make, and so I'm going to pray about that. But little stuff we don't pray about. I remember my grandmother used to pray about little stuff like what street to drive down. We laugh at that, but that is so serious. It's, it's so serious, and so we should depend on the Lord for everything. And so in our text this morning, Jesus is going to walk through. Listen, I'm going to show you how to pray by showing you how not to pray. It's so much we can learn. Look at the first sentence that Jesus says. First sentence, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Surely Jesus' audience here were struck by the latter part of that sentence. You must not be like the hypocrites. But Epiphany, can I say that we should consider and feel the weight of the first four words that Jesus says? He says, and when you pray. Notice he doesn't say, if you pray. Jesus assumes here that everyone that hears him has a prayer life. Now think of who's here. Matthew chapter five tells us that the disciples are close. The disciples are here. And who else is there? A large crowd. In the midst of all of these people, Jesus doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray, assuming that everybody has a prayer life. My question to you this morning that I want you to consider is, is the assumption that Jesus makes in this text applicable for your prayer life? He assumes that these believers are praying. Are you, are you able to say, man, that assumption is true of me? I think I can speak on behalf of the entire room and, and say that assumption is not true for most of our prayer lives. Yet the word of God over and over and over again pleads with us, begs us to pray. Philippians chapter four, verse number six and seven says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer, in petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Jeremiah 33, 3, one of my favorite passages or favorite verses on prayer says, call to me. I love that invitation. And I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Psalms 18, verse number six, in my distress, I call to the Lord. I cry to my God for help. For in his temple, he heard my voice. 
My cry came before him into his ears. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, last verse. Rejoice always, pray continuously, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Over and over and over again. That's just a snippet of the verses in the text on prayer. Over and over again, we see the scriptures pleading with us for prayer. Yet Jesus is not pleading with us to pray in this text. Jesus assumes that it's a part of your daily life. He assumes here that built into the rhythm of what you do during your day, where you go to work, the trains you take, he assumes that prayer is a part of that if you've trusted him. Like what Christian is a prayerless Christian? Only in Christianity do we see that. Many of our prayer lives are like the atheists that is in the bar across the street. Many of our prayer lives is, is just like, like we can compare our prayer lives to somebody that doesn't know Jesus, an atheist that doesn't know him. Do you know in 2004, a study found that 30% of atheists have admitted to praying as a last resort? But how, how true is that for us as Christians? Like many of us don't pray. Like let's be real. Like let's put off the church face. Let's not think of our neighbor. Let's not think of somebody else. Think of you. How many of us would be in that 30% with the atheists? We only pray when we've exhausted all other avenues. We only pray when we've done all we can do. We've exerted all of our energy. That's the moment when we pray. Yet Jesus assumed in the text with the first four words that the people that are listening to him have a prayer life. Yet we as Christians do not be faith. We're not faithful when it comes to prayer. Listen to this. Muslims are called to pray five times a day. I remember getting my hair cut one time at a, not one time, but I used to go to a Muslim barbershop in Philadelphia. Islam is everywhere in Philadelphia. And I used to go to a Muslim barbershop. This lady used to, she was nasty with the clippers. She knew what she was doing, fully garbed. All you could see was her eyes, but she knew how to fade you up. I, I remember sitting in the middle of this barbershop, getting my hair cut. All of the barbers are Muslims. It was a, it was a, a specific time that they had to pray they literally would stop cutting hair, go in the back room, pull out the carpets, and kneel down and pray before the Lord. Like I had half a haircut, half a shape up, yet this lady goes and says, you, they would rather lose money than not pray. Five times a day, Muslims would pray. Jews, historically, Jews have traditionally prayed three times a day. Buddhists use a prayer wheel literally to fling their prayers into the atmosphere in hopes of connecting the spiritual and the natural. Catholics, in their prayer, in their prayer time, reverence Mary and the saints. Used to live next door to a, a Catholic church in, in, uh, in Park Slope and literally would walk by and see people kneeling outside praying to the statues. Consistently, they would be praying. Hindus pray to several different gods, yet Christians are loose on prayer. We have the one true Savior, the hope of the world, yet we don't pray. And Jesus has bridged the gap to give you the ability to communicate with a holy God, yet we don't take access to it. We don't take any access to it. And so Jesus' assumption in the text should be convicting to most of us. He assumes that you're doing it. We should feel the weight of what Jesus is assuming today. How wonderful would it be if we prayed like Daniel? 
Daniel chapter 6, verse number 10, it shows that Daniel would pray three times a day. In fact, there's a story in, in, in the same passage, the verse before it, it talks about how King Darius, he, he signs this document of injunction saying that nobody in the kingdom should pray. He signs it in verse number 9. In verse number 10, it says our boy Daniel goes and he prays. Like he continued with what, the, what, what he normally did. In fact, the end of that verse, he says, he says he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. So he wasn't moved by the, by the injunction that this King Darius had put in place. But most of our prayer lives look like we're under the injunction that King Darius put in Daniel chapter 6. Most of our prayer lives look like they're handicapped, yet Daniel is willing to pray even if it cost him his life. We know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Most of us know that story. If you don't, I pray that you would check it out in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den simply based on the fact that he would not stop praying to his God. Yet we are loose on prayer. Listen, if you're going to be serious about this spiritual discipline, it must start with you being honest. We need to do better with our prayer lives. Am I the only one that's raising my hand? We need to do better with how we pray. Consistency in prayer. There are a few things that contribute to the prayerlessness of our lives. One of them is independence. We think that we're ultimately in control of our life, right? Like there's no God that orchestrate things. And so I don't need to submit my life to prayer because I got this thing on my own. That's a hindrance to prayer. Another hindrance is what? Technology. Like if you can't pray for 30 minutes without being on Facebook, you should shut Facebook down. You should shut Facebook down. Like we start out in prayer and then we end up on Facebook looking at Pokemon pictures. That's the problem with our prayer life. We pray with our phone next to us. Maybe you need to leave the phone in the next room and be consistent in prayer. And I'm not just talking about set aside times of prayer, but even throughout your day, how many of us are consistent with what we do as it relates to prayer? My questions to you before we even dive into the text this morning, really keep going in the text. My questions to you is, do you believe that there's a God? Do you believe that he actually cares? Or, or how about this one? Do you believe that he can actually answer your prayer? If you've answered yes to any of those questions, we should bombard heaven. We should be faithful. And here's the beauty in God. God's not over. If all of us started praying in this room right now, God's not overwhelmed. He's not like, oh my God, too many at one time. Like, let, let me try to organize these. No, God can handle each one of us praying, yet we don't pray. My, my hope and prayer is as we look through this story that we would see what Jesus is showing us as it relates to prayer. Now, this, this passage really comes, if you look at, at, at the same account in, in the book of Luke, if you look at the same story, this is coming because the disciples have requested, can you teach us how to pray? And so in teaching how to pray, Jesus says, yeah, let me teach you how to pray. But before I can give you the positives of prayer, I need to give you the negatives. Let me teach you how not to pray before I teach you how to pray. Let's look at what the rest of the verse says. And when you pray, an assumption, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, when I first started reading uh, th this chapter earlier this week, I was kind of rocked by the fact that he said, don't pray like the hypocrites. Why? Because look at how the hypocrites are praying. They love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners. Now, when I read that, see, 
When you look at the word hypocrite, it has a lot of baggage with it. So it has some negative connotations. But if you remove hypocrite and just put a man and just put in the text, if you just said a man stood in the synagogues and on the street corners, I'm sitting there like, man, that man's faithful to prayer. Like he's praying in the synagogues. Where else would you want to pray? I don't see an issue with him praying in the synagogue. Three times a day, Pharisees would go into the synagogues and Jews would go into the synagogues at that hour to pray. In fact, Acts chapter three, verse one says, Peter and John were going up into the temple at the hour of prayer. So it's not an issue to go into the synagogue to pray. That can't be an issue because our boy Peter and John weren't rebuked for doing the same thing. So I'm like, well, why, why is he, not only the synagogues, but he told them, he, he said in the text that they would go on the street corners in fact, if you look at what street corners mean, street corners means a wide street, which is really talking about a high traffic street. So if one of y'all went out on Nostrand Avenue right now and started to pray, I would not rebuke that. I'd be like, man, that dude is faithful. And so Jesus is saying, listen, don't be like the hypocrites, but I'm already like, well, what are the hypocrites doing? They're praying in the synagogues. That's good. They're praying on the street corners, the wide street. That's good. Maybe it's the posture of their prayer. Maybe it's because they're standing, right? Note the word stand here. They love to stand and pray. Maybe they should be kneeling. That's what I was thinking. He's surely rebuking them because they should be kneeling. But if that's the case, half of my prayers this morning need to be thrown out the window. I stood right before you and started praying. In fact, our boy Job in Job chapter 30, verse number 20 says, I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. Listen to this. I stand and you look at me. He wasn't rebuked. Hannah does the same thing in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. Oh Lord, as you live, my Lord. Listen to this. I am a woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. He does not condemn Hannah. And so if Jesus is not condemning the hypocrites for the location, for the places they pray, and he's not condemning them for the posture in which they prayed, what is he condemning them for? He's condemning them for the people's praises during their prayer. How do I know that? Because look at the rest of the verse. They pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Here it is, that they may be seen. That's the issue when it comes to prayer. Prayer is, the, the, the problem is not the places. The problem was not the posture. The problem that we find in the text is a people praising problem. They prayed so that they could be heard. See, when we pray, our prayer should be to the audience of one. In fact, the rest of verse number five says they've already received their reward. Their reward was, was the applauses of people. Can I say that makes a horrible reward? See, that's why I don't, get, I don't get too moved when people come and say, listen, man, that was a great sermon. I'm always like, man, praise God. Thank you. But man, if I built my life on that, I've already received my reward. Your prayers, even in corporate prayer, can't be so that somebody else can hear you, so that they can hear you wax eloquent. That's not what our prayer should be. Luke chapter six, verse number 26 says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. Like how, how many of us feel like, like the applauses of people in the scriptures more than not is judgment, not praises. And so, and so the scriptures is telling us, listen, if you're praying on the street corners to be heard by other people, you've already received your reward. If you're praying in the synagogue, if you're praying in church so that other people can hear you, 
you've already received your reward. And so the issue is not standing, it's not the, 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 uh, the, it's not the, the posture, it's not the places, but it is the, 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 the means of their heart. R.A. Torrey says this, he said, we, we should never utter one syllable of prayer, either in public or in private, until we definitely are conscious that we have come into the presence of God and are actually praying to him. When you pray, are you praying even if others are listening so that God and God alone can hear you? So that he can be pleased. Like I'd rather you say horrible prayer and God say, well done. Most of us don't want that. We want God to say horrible prayer, but others to say, well done. That's what he's showing us in the text this morning. This is what Jesus is getting at in the next verse. Let's keep looking. Verse number six. Verse six says, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your God, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's the reward. This is speaking of wanting God and God alone to be pleased with our prayers. Let, let, let me just put this before you to consider. Jesus is not in this text rebuking all public or corporate prayers. See, it's easy for us to read the text and say, man, Jesus says, shut the door. Go in your closet, shut the door. That means we should never pray in public. Jesus is not saying that. Remember, scripture always interprets scripture. You can't take one verse and build an entire theology around it. Scripture interprets scripture. They teach you that in Bible 101. You don't interpret scripture. Your thoughts don't interpret scriptures. Your opinions don't interpret scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. So if I read that text, it's easy for me by itself, isolated from the rest of scripture, it's easy for me to walk away and say, Jesus just said don't pray in public. Jesus just said never corporately pray. But that's not what Jesus is showing us. How do I know that? Because in John chapter 11, Jesus stands before Lazarus' tomb. And what does he do before he raises Lazarus from the dead? He prays. In fact, Jesus says in that text, he says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. You always hear me. But I pray this, that those that are standing around might hear and believe. And so Jesus didn't, he wasn't bucking against corporate prayer. He himself submitted to corporate prayer. He does it again in Matthew chapter 14 when he's about to feed 5,000. The scripture says in verse 19 that he looks up to heaven and he blesses and then he breaks the bread. Once again, we see Jesus involved in corporate prayer. So corporate prayer is not the issue that Jesus is getting at. But even in corporate prayer, we must be careful that our prayers still aren't for the praises of others. That's what Jesus is getting at in our text. We must be careful of that. Your liturgical, well-crafted, eloquent prayers may impress people, but it doesn't impress God. It doesn't impress God. I don't care how eloquent you are within your speech of prayer, and some of you are, and it's encouraging when we hear it. Like, you ever heard somebody pray, and you're like, man, that person knows the Lord. Just by their prayer life, they, you can tell they know the Lord. Listen, Jesus isn't moved by, by, God the Father isn't moved by your eloquence in prayer more than he's moved by your posture of your heart during prayer. Are you praying to him and him alone? Like, come on, let's be honest in this room. How many of us are guilty at praying in, in, a, in a sphere of public uh, and we're always thinking, man, what are they thinking about that prayer? Like, how many of us do that? Jesus is like, no, no, no. When you pray, even if you pray in public, I pray that you would 
pray to me and me alone. The word hypocrite, John MacArthur in his, in his commentary says, the word hypocrite originally referred to an actor who used a large mask to portray the roles that they were playing. And so that's what Jesus is getting at. Don't be a hypocrite in the midst of public prayer and put on this large mask like you're some deep spiritual person. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Just pray to me. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of busyness, in the midst of a bunch of people, you can pray to God. I'm told of a story of a, of a lady that had, she's a widow, and she had eight kids in a three-bedroom apartment. Eight. And so she didn't have a lot of space in the apartment to find places to pray. So every morning before the kids would go to school, while the house was chaotic, she would put a cloth over her face and enter into her own secret closet. And when they would see it, they'd be like, mama's praying. Mama is praying. That's what we need to do. So maybe within New York, I know the average house, the average apartment square footage is 700 square feet in New York. I get it. It's tight, right? We're busy. We have lives. We do a lot of stuff. But how many of us can be like that mom and put the cloth over our face? Maybe not a physical cloth, and maybe you do, but maybe not a physical cloth, but how many of us can find a place in our heart, the altar in our heart, no matter where we are? You can be on the midst of the busiest train and bust out in a prayer. That's what I love about our God. We don't have to take a trip to Mecca to pray. We don't have to look toward the east to pray. We simply can close our eyes and be at the throne of grace, purely based on the person and work of Jesus Christ. He secured that right for you to do that. Yet many of us don't run to prayer. We don't run to the throne. Most of us don't run to the throne because we don't understand and know who we're praying to. Like, think of the massivity of the, like you're praying to a God that is transcendent. Like, he transcends all of us. You ever go outside at night and just look up at the stars and the bigness of the stars? God flung those by the word of his mouth. He's created the universe by, the, by speaking. That's the God in who we are praying to. And so Jesus is saying in our text here, listen, don't show off in prayer. Don't try to act like you're something that you're not. Don't be a hypocrite with a large mask trying to portray yourself as something that you're not. No, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Let's keep going. Verse number seven. Before we move to verse number seven, I, just, I, just, I circled this. So I just want to note the fact that it says secret twice. So this is really talking about an intimacy. Right, if I tell you a secret, how many of you have ever told somebody a secret and they betrayed you and they told somebody else that secret? See, God doesn't do that. There's an intimacy that he has with you that you could tell him whatever. God's not like some friend that you are, you know, you ever text somebody and they take a long time to get back and you're like, man, what are they thinking? I don't know what they're feeling. God's not like that. You send up a prayer and he hears you. There's intimacy within his, your relationship with the Lord. Verse number seven. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard for their many, many words. Jesus first started our text today by shutting down the proud hypocrites. Now he moves to the babbling Gentiles. Now I was rocked because I would think that Jesus would condemn the Pharisees for their prayer. Why would I think that? Because the Pharisees were mechanical. They were ritualistic. They were repetitious. They would pray to be seen as well. Jesus doesn't rebuke our boys, the Pharisees, in this text. He rebukes the Gentiles for their prayers. 
He comes down hard on them. He says, don't pray like them. You know how they prayed? They prayed, as the old commentaries would say, with vain repetition. Jesus isn't rebuking long prayers, nor is he rebuking repetitious prayers. Like, it's okay to pray the same thing twice, three times, four times. What Jesus is getting at in our text this morning is, don't just heap up empty phrases. Most of us in this room don't have an issue with consistency in prayer more than we have an issue with a lack of focus during prayer. We lack focus. You ever start out praying and then you're thinking about, oh my God, did I leave the oven on? Did, you know, did I didn't text her back? You know, oh my God, you know, I forgot to do that at work. We lose quick focus. Jesus, that is called babbling. It's vain repetition. What Jesus wants in our prayer time is a focused, thoughtful prayer. Y'all remember last week when we talked about Agar? Agar prepared before he prayed. He came in and saw in, in Proverbs chapter 30 and said, I got two things to talk to you about. Like he knew exactly what he wanted to pray. He didn't, he wasn't scattered brain during his prayer. Most of us lack focus. We're scattered brain. Agar comes in and says, I got two things. Here they go. Boom, boom. Deny them not for me. Here they go. And then he leaves it at that. He gives his two petitions. How many of us are organized within our prayers? One of the easiest ways to organize your prayer. And some of you, I know you're not journalers. Like I get it. But one of the easiest ways to, 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 uh, to organize your prayers is to put them in a journal. It's practical. Write them down. Be consistent with what you're praying. Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus praying all night. So Jesus isn't saying, listen, don't pray long. If he was saying don't pray long, Luke 6, he wouldn't have prayed all night. But Jesus prays all night. Just because you've prayed all night or you've prayed for an hour long doesn't mean that it was pleasing to God. Your hour-long prayer still could be filled with ramblings. We must be organized. We must be focused. When I counted out the seconds, I actually did this. I had some time this week. I actually counted verse 9 to verse verse 13, which is the entire Lord's prayer. 9 to 13, that's it. 17 seconds it took me to pray that prayer. Like, Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer in 17 seconds. What I'm trying to get you to understand is it doesn't take long to get to the throne. It doesn't take long at all to get to the throne. He prays, and said, but, but at the same time, be careful because you can pray 17 seconds full of ramblings. You can pray 17 seconds and not be focused in that 17 seconds. And so I, I, I want to push to you consistency. Like Jesus starts assuming they pray. I started the sermon assuming we don't pray. So I want to push to you consistency, but I also want to say, man, maybe you're consistent. Praise God. Are you focused in your prayers? Are you thoughtful in your prayers? Do you realize that you are praying to the God of the universe, the creator of all things? Are you focused in what you are praying? 17 seconds is what Jesus does. And so I don't want to bind you to short. I don't want to bind you to long prayers. Whatever you can get in, in the course of your day, I pray that it is thoughtful, that you are focused in what you pray. I will say that I think long prayers are appropriate at times. Like there's some times where you got a decision you got to make, or maybe you just want to sit in the goodness of God, spend some time there. And maybe there's times where you don't have a lot of time. You got to offer up something quick. Scripture is, it says both of them are appropriate. Both of them are appropriate. And so Let's be careful of lack of focus during prayer. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Verse 7, like the Gentiles, for they've received, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Verse number 8, 
Actually, verse number, verse number seven, the B part. They think that they will be heard for their many words. Let, let me just say in prayer, there's a, there's a point in prayer where you should shut up and stop praying and just listen. Like you should just sit and just want to hear from the Lord. Just sit in the presence of the Lord. Most of us are like these Gentiles. We just got a lot of words. We think that God can only hear us when we talk a lot. Like, some, like even in your natural conversations, who wants to be in a conversation with somebody where all they're doing is talking? Like sometimes the best contribution to a conversation is just simply listening. Even in prayer, sometimes we just got to sit and say, you know what? I got a lot to say, but you're better than the words that I got to say. So let me just sit in your presence for a little bit. Just sit and, and enjoy you. Verse number eight. Now, verse number eight, it, there, there's a lot in verse number eight. There's two things I want to point out that honestly, these two things rock me when I think about, when I think about prayer and I think about God as it relates to prayer. Verse number eight. And do not be like them, talking about the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. There's something that I want to point out, two words, your father. Do you know how huge that is? That we have the ability through the text to be able, those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, we have the ability to call him our father. Like even the Lord's prayer, he goes on to verse number nine and how does he start it? Our father. And so what he's saying is, listen, rest in your, through prayer, rest in your relationship with God. This is a, the, our father we're talking to. Like that is so huge. What, what gives us the ability to be able to call him our father is the fact that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ has bridged the gap, squashed the beef between you, you us, and God. That's what Jesus did. And so now we're able to call him our father. And even greater than that, he calls us his children. Like there's nothing, if my kids come to me with a, with a deep need, there's something that they absolutely need, not want, but absolutely need. There's no way I'm going to break my neck to figure out how I can get it for them. But the scriptures is clear in, in Luke chapter 11 that that what, you've, what, your, what your, your fathers among you, if they give you, if they ask you for, your, I'm sorry, what father among you, if the son asks him for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Then it goes on to say, how much more will your heavenly father give you if you ask for the Holy Spirit? That's what the father says. And so naturally, I'll do whatever it takes for my sons. If they need something, how much more will God do? Just the fact that you're able to call him our father is proof that the gospel worked, that the cross secured your relationship with the father. We now can go to the father spotless based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why we end our prayers and say, in Jesus name. Because that's the only basis we got to come to before the throne. Like you can't come before the throne based on your own name. Go ahead and pray and say, and I pray this in the name of Brandon. Huh? That doesn't even make sense. We pray in the name of Jesus because he's the one that has secured the right for us to have that tight relationship with the father. And so he says, listen, don't run past the fact that you're praying to somebody you have relationship with. You're not praying to a fickle friend. A sometimey friend, a shady friend. No, you're praying to a father who loves you and cares deeply for you. The other, the other thing that, that I want to point out in this text 
It says, don't be like them, talking about the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Shows us the sovereignty of our God. Our God is sovereign, not just over creation, but he's sovereign over even your prayers. And so what he's doing in heaven is you're praying to him and he's filtering through your prayers. I already know what you need. Like, I, I, you don't need that. You don't need, praise God for that. Like, unanswered prayers is a blessing. Don't get, don't get it twisted and think that if he answers every single prayer, that's a blessing. No, that's a curse. Let him answer everything you've prayed. Like, think of your fickleness in your own prayer life. See, the real Christian wants God to hear everything, but only wants him to answer what is according to his will. So he sits in heaven and he filters through. He knows what you need before it even leaves your lips. So many of you are like, well, if that's the case, then why do I even need to pray? Why? Because the scripture commands us to pray. Like, we need no other reason to pray. I, I went through this two weeks ago. The scriptures are clear and commands us to consistently talk to our father. And plus, that one-sided relationship doesn't work. Like, if my wife and I, if our sole relationship was based on me communicating with her and her not talking to me, would we agree that's a dysfunctional marriage? Like, I I need to sit down. I don't need to preach anymore until my wife and I can get on a better communication. Yet with our father, it's so one-sided. Even if you read the scriptures, it's still one-sided if you're not praying. If you're not praying, it's, it's deeply important. So my hope and prayer this morning is not just for consistency within your prayer life. My hope and prayer is for the posture and the heart behind how it is that you pray. Praying is supposed to be like breathing. Easier done than not to do. Like, it's easy, right, for me to breathe. Like, you sit in this room and haven't even thought about breathing. You just naturally do it. That should be the prayer life of your life. How hard is it to hold your breath? That is what it should be like for, for, for those of us that don't pray. Those of us that have named the name of Jesus Christ and do not pray, it should be like holding your breath. Like you would die if you don't pray. You, your lifeline, your oxygen will, will cease if you do not pray. That is what our prayer life should be like. Easier to do than not to do. Let us pray. Father, this morning we come before you in desperate need of spiritual discipline as it relates to prayer, spiritual discipline as it relates to consistency and the, posture, and the posture of our prayers. Forgive us in this room that have prayed to be heard. Forgive us in this room that have prayed to be seen. Forgive us in this room that have prayed in such a way and walked away, could care less if you heard us, but care more if others in the room heard us. Father, develop in us a, a seriousness about prayer. Let us not treat you like Aladdin and the genie in the bottle. Let us not rub that lamp when we need you and we, we, don't, we, we just put it on our hip and we don't even pray. Forgive us, Lord. Help us. Jesus taught us today in the text how not to pray. And I pray that that would stir all of us in this room for a deeper prayer life, a more consistent prayer life, a more faithful prayer life where we're focused on you. You've given us access to your throne and you told us we can come boldly before it. We don't have to come with questions. 
We don't have to come with complaints, but we can come before your throne boldly, securely because of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. We thank you. In Christ's name, we give glory. Amen.